Just a few more announcements. Um, let's see, there's a van sign-up list for those that would like to go to that event on Saturday. Uh, it's up in, well, it seems so far away, in West Palm Beach, uh, or, or the vicinity of. And uh, there was one more. Oh, Brother Fred Townsend is here. We've announced he, he was in the hospital, but he's out, and he seems just fine. Okay, so we don't want to make him sick if he's not sick, right? <laughs> Okay, uh, we're going to uh, just invite you to turn to Acts chapter 13, and let's see if we can get our little picture going here. Uh, what? F5. He's going to... That's it, Acts 13. Very good. Okay, just turn to Acts chapter 13 and we'll get our brethren. We're going to use this right now too, right? So Acts 13 and we'll get our brethren to come up and read for us. Uh, Acts 13, uh, verse 1. Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called uh, Niger, Lucius of uh, Cyrene, Manea, who had been brought up with Herod, uh, the uh, Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to uh, Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They also had John as their assistant. Now when they had gone through the island to uh, Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Barjesus, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus an intelligent man this man was uh, this man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God but Elymas a sorcerer for so his name is translated withstood them seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith then Saul who also is called Paul filled with the Holy Spirit looked intently at him and said O full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now, indeed, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what, he, what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Now when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch in Pisidia, and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them, saying, Men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Then Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, 
Listen, the God of this people, Israel, choose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he brought them out of it. Now for a time of about 40 years, he put up with their ways in the wilderness. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land to them by ultimate. After that, he gave them judges for about 400, 450 years until Samuel the prophet. And after they, afterward, they asked for a king. So God gave them Saul, the, king, the son of Kish a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. From this man's seed, according to the promise God raised up for Israel, a Savior, Jesus. After John had first preached before his coming the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, and as John was finishing his course, he said, Who do you think I am? I am not he. But behold, there comes one after me, the sandals of those whose feet I am not worthy to loose. Man and brethren, sons of the family of the of Abraham and to th- and those among you who fear God to you the word of this salvation has been sent for those who dwell in dwell in Jerusalem and their their rulers because they did not know him nor even the voice of the prophets which are read very in read every sabbath have fulfilled them in condemning him and through and though they found no cause for the death in him, they asked Pilate that he should be put to death. Now when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in the tomb. But God raised him from the dead. He was seen for many days by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are, who are his witness to the people. And we declare to you glad, glad tidings that promise which was made to the Father. God has fulfilled this to, for us, their children, in that he raised up Jesus, as it is also written in the second psalm. You are my son, today I have, for, have begotten you. And that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken this. I will give you give you the sure miracles of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, Felicity was buried with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up saw no corruption. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through the, this man, he preached to you the forgiveness of sin. And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things 
which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what has been spoken in the prophets come upon you. Behold, you behold, you despisers, marvel and perish, for I work a work in your days, a work which you will by no means believe. Though one were to, though one were to declare it to you, so when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them next Sabbath. Now when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout uh, proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and contradicting and blaspheming. They opposed things spoken by Paul. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, It was necessary that that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. For so the Lord had commanded us, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be for salvation uh, to the end of the earth. Now when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word they were glad and glorified the word of the lord and as many as had been appointed to the eternal life eternal life believed and the word of the lord was being spread throughout all the, the region but the jews stirred up the devout and, pro, and prominent women and the chief men of the city raised up persecution against paul and barnabas and expelled them from their region but they shook off the dust from their feet against them and came to Isonium, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Thank you, uh, Jason, JJ, and Caleb for that reading. And we'll take up with the chapter. Just have a few pictures here that may help us. This is commonly referred to as the first missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. And we know, of course, that a missionary, someone has rightly put it this way. I think it's a good little cliche. Every individual in the world is either a missionary or a mission field. A missionary or a mission field. Now, a missionary would be one that is born again, a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. What is our mission? If you're a believer, our mission is to do just what the Apostle Paul did. Maybe we won't go through uh, uh, distant lands, but maybe we can go to our office. Maybe we can go across the street. Maybe we can go door to door. Maybe we can do prison ministry. Whatever it is, we have a mission, right? To proclaim the gospel, the good news, how Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, was buried, rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. But there are also those that are uh, a mission field, right? Every Christian is a missionary, or should be, but there are those that are a mission field, those that do not know the Lord Jesus as Savior. Maybe they know about the gospel. We're going to see in this passage some that hold the name of Christian, but aren't believers, right? Their heart never been changed, never been born again, right? So we want to look then at uh, what's commonly referred to as Paul's first missionary journey. A trip over that, I'm sure. Okay, just let's make a few introductory uh, comments in the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, 
first of all, the acts of the apostles, right? The deeds, what the apostles did. Now, primarily, of course, it is a reference to Peter and Paul. There are a few others in their uh, activities mentioned, but primarily the acts of the apostles. The apostles are uh, that what is covered in this book is primarily uh, Peter and Paul. Now, in the Gospels, the Lord Jesus came to give his life. There's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In the Acts, that's the fifth book of the New Testament, in the, in the Acts of the Apostles, the Lord Jesus came to live His life through His people. The actions of the Spirit, we might uh, phrase the Acts of the Apostles, the actions of the Spirit through His people. You remember in Acts chapter 1, uh, the writer, Luke, uh, says this, the former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and teach. Praise the Lord that historically, the, God, the Acts of the Apostles is a historic book. We can look back historically and see what Jesus did in the Gospels, but He began to do something there that has continued in the Acts of the Apostles and continues to this day through His people. Yes, he used the, the church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. But if you're here this morning and you know the Lord Jesus as Savior, we have a mission just like the Apostle Paul. You say, well, I'm not a missionary. I'm not commended to the foreign field. Well, the, every one of us, we're going to see in a minute, have the responsibility to be a witness. Do the work of an evangelist, says the uh, Paul to his son Timothy. And then... Plug that back in there. The uh, Acts of the Apostles is a indeed a transitional book. I unplugged that right there. A transitional book. And someone has termed this the trauma of transition. And uh, you're, we're going to see in this how that is true. And somehow I've frozen up here. Uh, oh, I see why. Uh, the trauma of transition. It's going from the Jew to the church. The, the uh, Christianity, uh, as we know it, sprang from Judaism. Judaism is, an, is a Bible term. It's in uh, Galatians chapter 1. And if you read the King James, it says the Jews' religion. But it's, it's primarily, uh, the, it's, it's translated uh, literally, Judaism. Judaism was, uh, began, of course, by God Himself. And we see that wonderful faith in where God was pleased to reveal Himself through types, through symbols, the tabernacle, uh, and, and so forth and so on, through many ways. The first believers were Jews. Now, it's interesting to note that Christianity was not a fully worked out system of doctrine and practice as of yet. You remember that the Lord Jesus told the disciples in John chapter 16 that the Holy Spirit, when He comes, which we looked at that in Acts 2, when He comes, He will guide you into all truth. Well, it certainly appears that the Acts of the Apostles is part of that guiding, practice, uh, guiding process. In other words, the Lord Jesus didn't give a directive that at, uh, on an A.D. Uh, 30 or 45 at 2 a.m. you will no longer practice Judaism, but Christianity will take place. No, it wasn't anything like that, right? 
you're going to see, we're going to see, and we already have seen, in the Acts of the Apostles, there is this, this transition from the uh, Jews' religion, Judaism, to Christianity. The Lord, the, the, we're going to read in our, or we will uh, have already read that the di- disciples were first called Christians at Antioch, and that's where this uh, chapter begins. And it's the spread of the teaching or the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so there's much trauma in this transition. There's a lot of misunderstood things in this Acts of the Apostles because it is a transitional book. And we'll, we'll see things like uh, the uh, speaking in tongues and, and uh, the, the, uh, the work of the Holy Spirit, the prominence there, and so forth and so on. And we're, we, uh, there are a number of things that, that, that uh, it's, it's easily seen that we'll see that there is a transitional book as it, as it uh, goes from one to the other. For instance, we just looked a few weeks ago at diet, right? Uh, with Cornelius, you know, he saw, or Peter saw this great sheet coming down with uh, all uh, manner of four-footed beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. And he's, oh, I've never eaten anything like that. You know, don't, don't put me on that. But the Lord was teaching him, wasn't him, wasn't he? That he must not call any man common or unclean. No, not much less, you know, you can now, you can eat. God has cleansed all food, by the way, that he, uh, where all things are to be received. If proceed with thanksgiving, says Paul in, in, in Timothy. So there's no more food laws as such. Remember, it's a transitional book in the Acts of the Apostles. And uh, the Acts of the Apostles, remember in, in chapter number one, you shall be witnesses to me. Every one of us, like Paul and others, are called to be witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. In Jerusalem, we see in the very first uh, uh, few chapters, go, stand in the temple. Where was the temple? In Jerusalem. And speak to the people all the words of this life. In Judea, Judea was the state. I'm going to show you a map in a minute. The the, the province around Jerusalem uh, that we see in Acts chapter 8, there was all scattered throughout the regions of Judea. And then Samaria, we looked at a few weeks ago, Acts chapter 8, Philip, uh, another one directed by the Lord to go down to the city of Samaria and preach Christ and to the end of the earth, said the Lord Jesus. Paul writes later the truth of the gospel, which is coming to you as it is in all the world. Now you're sitting here thinking, well, wait a minute, in all the world. Well, all the then known world, right? Primarily the Roman Empire. We're going to look at that here. This, I believe, is what would be termed in all the world, the Roman Empire. That was all the then known world then. And Paul sought... He says, in, what does he say in, in, uh, in, in Romans chapter 15 or 16? From Jerusalem, round about unto Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And so what we have here is a map uh, of his different missionary journeys, but he's preaching, he's fulfilling the commission of the Lord Jesus into all the world. Jerusalem, whoops, Jerusalem, uh, down here, Judea, that little blue section right there, Samaria, I couldn't, it, it's it, right next to Judea. I just put another map here. Samaria right there and uh, the uttermost parts of the world. So that's where we are here. And by the way, I just wanted to point out one thing that the, the, city, the cities referred to or the places referred to are what is now known as Turkey. You see, Jerusalem uh, down here and Judea would be there, Samaria next. 
uh, and unto the uttermost parts of the world. So we, we're going to go past through Cyprus later on at the end. It's Crete. But that's then now known as Turkey. It's just uh, remarkable that the Apostle Paul took the gospel where he did. So let's just make a few comments on Acts chapter 13 and see what we can learn from this first missionary journey. First, the Apostle Paul, um, well, it says that there were certain prophets and teachers, and there, here was an actual um, a setting apart of, of Paul. Paul, we know, was called earlier in Acts chapter 9, and the Lord said that I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake and to bear my name before Gentiles. Remember that uh, the Apostle Paul was a Jew. He was going to bear the name of God, the name of the Lord Jesus, to Gentiles, those that were outside of the commonwealth of Israel. I think probably many or most of us here this morning are Gentiles, and we are thankful that God has seen fit to make known His message to Gentiles. And now they're separated from this work. The Holy Spirit separated, said, separate me. Now, how was it done exactly? Oh, by the way here, it's, oh, the Holy Spirit is a lot more than just an influence, right? Some people say that, oh, he's just an influence. He's a person, the, th the third person of the Trinity. He said, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. Now, whether he did it actually through one of the prophets, because they are called prophets, the church was built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. There were New Testament prophets that received revelation from God before the, the Scriptures were complete to convey the message of God to His people. And so, they laid their hands on them, they identified with them, they sent them out, and they went forth. Uh, they sailed to Cyprus. You see Cyprus up there uh, next to Syria. They sailed to the island there. And when they were at Salamis, and Salamis is, is you can see, is on Cyprus. Uh, they, they preached the word of God to none but the Jews only. And when they had gone through the island unto Paphos. Now here we open up with the first. It's primarily Acts chapter 13 covers these two events. One that deals with an individual that they ran into. And the other when they went into the synagogue and dealt with a whole number of people. Now the first one they meet is a, a false prophet. A magician of all things. A magician. People are fascinated with magicians. Somebody sent me something the other day. I wonder if, 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 if Satan, you know, it says at the end, when, when, when the, the man of sin will be revealed, after the Lord Jesus comes, he's going to work all kind of lying signs and wonders. And I wonder if Satan is setting the stage even right now. They, somebody sent me an email with this guy out in the uh, middle of a park and he throws up a sheet and all of a sudden he's disappeared. He's gone. And, and, and the people are just mystified. What happened? Now, you know, of course, cameras can play tricks, but there are magicians out there that do elus elusive, illusionary things. But we know that Satan has a certain amount of power to call down things and work lying wonders. Well, here was a magician that they ran into. He was with the deputy, or the proconsul of the company, Sergius Paulus. Now, here's one thing we notice about this man is he desired to hear the word of God. What happened? The magician got in his way. And said, no, you know. He tried to withstand them and turn the deputy from the faith. That's primarily what is revealed in the Acts of the Apostles. Paul later says he declares the faith that is in Christ Jesus. All right, so here's what happens. Sergius Paulus wanted to hear the word of God, and uh, Elymas the sorcerer turned him away. Then we see that Saul, who also is called Paul. Now, why? Here's, he's also, from this point onward, Saul of Tarsus is now called Paul. It doesn't say why exactly. 
It may have something to do with the first convert's name was Paulus. Who knows? We don't know why he changed his name to Paul. But from here on out, he's known as Paul. But what we do know is what he did. He was full of the Holy Spirit and he turned to this magician. He said, oh, full of all subtlety and all mischief, you child of the devil. Now we notice what his name was, was Bar Jesus. Bar is son, right? Son, Barnabas, son of the father. Uh, uh, bar, yes, yeah, son of the father. Uh, or bar, 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 excuse me, Barabbas, Bar Jesus. I'm getting mixed up here. Bar Jesus, son of Jesus. Barnabas, son of consolation, and so forth. Here was Bar Jesus. He had a name that he was a Christian, right? Son of Jesus. What does Paul identify him as? You child of the devil. There is a lesson here that is very, very solemn. And I trust that the Spirit of God, like Paul was filled, will drive it into our hearts here. Here was somebody that had the name that they lived. He was a magician, but he had the name, Bar Jesus, Son of Jesus. Paul looked at him and called him and labeled him for what he was, because you full of all subtlety, you child of the devil. Now, Paul could do that, being an apostle, identify him for what he was and what he did. But every one of us that are born into this world, we walk according to the course of this world. We may not be expressly called children of the devil. Although there are other passages like in 1 John that says the children of the devil and the children of God are manifest and so forth. But that was a strong term that he used when he pointed to the Elemist the magician. And he said, you child of the devil. But all of us, when we're born into this world, we follow, we walk according to the course of this world, according to who? The prince of the power of the air. Right? That's where we were by nature. But, bless God, we can be born again. Now, here was one who was not born again. He was a child of the devil, the enemy of all righteousness. Will you not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? And Paul, able to work miracles, because the uh, we see miracles are worked in a number of places in Acts. Uh, he, uh, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee. In verse 11, you shall be blind, not seeing some for the season. Here was one. That physically it was put upon him what he was in spiritually, right? He was spiritually in darkness, right? But the apostle Paul, or Saul there, or Paul, he told him you'll be blind not seeing the sun for a season. So physically now he's matched to what he was spiritually. That's again, when we're born into this world, we're born blind to spiritual things, right? But praise God that we, when, when the Spirit of God opens our eyes and we can see the truth that is in Jesus, we turn in faith and trust Him. But He went about seeking some to lead Him by the hand. Now, one thing to note here is in verse 13, another thing to note is, uh, or to, a couple of things. It says in verse 13, now when Paul and his company, it started out in verse number 3 and verse number 7 with Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas and Saul. It appears quite uh, obviously, that Paul now takes the lead. Paul and his company, the Spirit of God is working, right? They, uh, in this company, and Paul and his company uh, are, are now sailing away. But something happened here, right? Did you see it in verse 13? John. Now, that's John Mark. Uh, John Mark, of course, we know from the Bible is related to Barnabas. But for whatever reason, he departed. Whether he said, I've had enough. It would seem that he was from a rich family because remember in Acts 12 we, we read all the church was gathered together in his mother's home. And so maybe he just had enough. Maybe it was too much for him. Maybe he didn't like the climate. We don't know why, but it was enough that it, it bothered 
Paul the Apostle. And we'll le read about later what happened. But here, that was, no, that was no light thing to turn from the work. He went not with them, uh, it says later, went not with them to the work. He departed and he said, I want to go home. I want to go home. Now, he didn't get on a Learjet, right? He may have been rich, but he didn't get on a Learjet. He had to go. Look at, look at, look at the, the, the map here. Now, it, it's unclear to me whether he was in Paphos or whether it was in Perga up here. It's at least 200 miles, if not 400 miles. And he said, forget it. I am not going with you on this missionary journey. I'm going home. It's too, well, for whatever reason. Maybe he got sick. I don't know. Maybe there was disease. Who knows what it was? But Paul and his company went on. John Mark went back. Now, there's a lesson there for all of us, right? To What does Paul say to, to uh, Archippus in uh, Colossians chapter 4? And it applies to all of us. Take heed to the ministry which you have received of the Lord that you fulfill it. Now, they get into uh, verse number 14. They, you see now they've gone through the island of Cyprus. Now they're up here in Perga. Pamphylia is up here and they're right there at Perga. Okay? And then they went on to Antioch in Pisidia. And you see that up there. Uh, again, this is that now known as Turkey, but Pisidian Antioch. Now, what happens here is the practice that they'll continue through the Acts of the Apostles. They search out a synagogue of the Jews, right? And they go to convey this wonderful message of the gospel. Oh, it's just great to see Paul reasoning out of the scriptures we read in other portions that Jesus is the Messiah. But here he comes in. He doesn't say a word yet until he was invited Right? A wonderful practice, evidently. They said, uh, it says that the, the, the rulers, uh, after the reading of the law and prophets, they noticed the visitors coming in. They said, you men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Now, again, you're going to tell me, well, he's a preacher. He should be ready in season, out of season. Well, every one of us should let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. And what about sitting around the lunchroom? When, 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 when criticism starts, ah, you, 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 you believe in the rapture. Look at YouTube. Don't you see all the foolishness that, that is? Ah, somebody disappearing. You're able to stand up for the truth, right? You don't have to fall for the enemy's tactics, right? We can be ready like Paul. Let the word of Christ dwell in us richly and be able to con convey the wonderful truth of the Word of God. And that's exactly what he does. Watch what he does in verse 16. Men of Israel and you that fear God. Paul knew his audience. He could look out and he can see Jews and he can see those that were proselytes, those that weren't Jews, but they were interested in the Word of God, in this Jewish faith. And I think it behooves all of us to know our audience, to know what kind of crowd we're in, and maybe assess and how, how can we convey this wonderful message of the truth of the Gospel to them. Well, Paul the Apostle did it. And what he did, he gave a chronological sketch. Paul, he knew his history. Do you know yours? Do I know mine? Do I know the Word of God that I can go back? Do you know where you came from? I say, well, I'm not a Jew. I, I, wasn't in, I, I don't have to worry about that. But you're a human being. Do you know where you came from? Some people don't. You know, they believe what, they, what, what school teachers, you know. That, that, that we came, we were revolved, that we came from goo, we came from animals. No! Where did you come from? Paul is going back to the, na the historically of the nation of Israel and he's going to give them an account. Uh, but what he's doing, actually, they're, they're in, in verse number 23, he preaches a sermon, by the way, from verse 16 all the way through to verse number 41. 
But what it seems now, for time's sake, we'll just notice in verse number 23, uh, it seems here is a major point of the sermon of this man's seed, David. He's just talked about King David, the man after God's own heart. He's talked about David and he said, God, according to his promise, has raised unto Israel a Savior. Now, what he's saying here is exactly that, that God hath raised unto Israel a Savior. But that's conclusive of what he's already said. He has said, see what God has already provided. In verse number 17, that he's provided deliverance out of Egypt. In verse number 19, he's... Uh, He's, uh, he provided destruction for the land of Canaan to bring them into this new land. And verse number 20, he raised up deliverers or judges, uh, to, until the time of Samuel the prophet. And now, in verse 21, he's raised unto Israel, David. So all along, we can see how God is at work providing for the people, providing a savior. And now he concludes it, as it were, and says, God hath raised unto Israel a savior. Jesus. He identifies him. And, and so he goes on to talk of John the Baptist. But I want you to notice here in verse 17, at verse 27 and 28, uh, uh, excuse me, just verse 27. They, this is the people in the congregation, uh, or the, the, uh, referring back to the, the Jews in Jerusalem, that is, they that dwell at Jerusalem, and their rulers, because they knew him not, that is the Lord Jesus, nor yet the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath day, they have fulfilled them in condemning him. What the Apostle Paul here evidently is saying is it is possible to come and sit in a meeting, hear the preaching of the word, and not even understand it, but unwittingly fulfill the word of God, right? They did not know the Lord, right? They did not know the Lord, nor the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath day. That, that, that's a very solemn message. It is possible, to, like we already looked at with Bar Jesus, right? To have the name of being a Christian, to have the name of being a Jew, for that matter, and come and listen to the Word of God and totally not hear it. You know what it says in Ezekiel chapter 33? I think the uh, prophet there, he says, they come unto you and they say, oh, what a lovely sound is your voice. I hear the Word of God from you. It is so rich, so lovely, so holy. But then they go their way and they, they live unholy lives. to the end of Ezekiel chapter 33, I believe. The sound of the voice of the preacher is so attractive. They hear the word of God, but they don't fulfill it. And, P and Paul goes on to uh, com complete his sermon. Though he was crucified, uh, verse 29, but God raised him from the dead. A wonderful thing to see how God was at work providing for Israel and for us, we're going to see in a few minutes, a Savior. Now he comes to perhaps in verse 38 and 39, a climax here of, of sorts. And this must have hit them like a bombshell, right? They're listening to this history 
And now he comes up with this, be it known therefore. He's concluding, right? Therefore, unto you, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sin. We've already looked at how God provided for Israel in a number of ways. Now he has raised unto Israel a Savior. Through this man, Jesus, is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins, and by him all that believe are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. You know, it is, it is easy to sit in a congregation, to hear the word of God, and to have this erroneous thought that because we're doing that, God is somehow shining, His grace is shining on us because we're listening to the word of God. Maybe we'll pray once in a while, but we've never been justified. We've never been declared right. You know, that is the primary problem in the religious world today. There's a difference between justification and sanctification, right? Justify. When God justifies an individual, He declares him right the moment he believes on the Lord Jesus, right? By Him all that believe are justified from all things, from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. The religion will go to church, will use their beads, will give their money, will do everything possible to justify themselves. They are trying to be justified before, you know, by their own efforts, by their own works. The wonderful thing about the truth of the Word of God is God makes us, He declares us right when we're justified by faith. Be, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When a moment, the moment a person believes on the Lord Jesus Christ, receives Him as their Savior, they are justified that moment. Right? But then, not only does God declare us right the moment we trust Christ, but He begins a process called sanctification where to make us right. Right? We're not perfect, but God, in God's eyes, God sees my Savior and then He sees me. In the Beloved, accepted are we. Right? The moment a person trusts Christ as Savior, we are justified. We are declared right. Because we could never justify ourselves. We could never make ourselves right. Only God could declare us right. And how does He do that? Does He sweep our sins under the rug as if it doesn't matter? No. Sin is very very serious and we know that by him the Lord Jesus through this man has preached unto you the forgiveness of sins and the Lord Jesus died on Calvary's cross he died for your sin and mine there was no sin of his own but God uh, laid upon him the iniquity of us all he bore the penalty of our sin it's a wonderful thing to know that this is our sin and God has laid all our sin upon the Lord Jesus but also that He has not only laid our sin on the Lord Jesus, but He has given us His righteousness. He's declared us right the moment we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. A wonderful truth in the Gospel that we must be able to appreciate and to share with those that we come in contact with. Now, our time is gone, but we want to say this, that when the, uh, uh, the sermon was over, there was a great response. But I want you to notice in verse number 46. Now, we're skipping a lot, but there were some that did not uh, like what was preached. The Jews saw the multitudes. They were filled with envy. They were contradicting and blaspheming. They didn't want any of this. You know, it's easier. Don't ruffle our feathers. Let us keep trying, right? Let me keep trying to keep the law of God. I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. It doesn't work. 
right? We, we, you know, we're, we're religious by nature and somehow in our minds, you know, we think that we can justify ourselves before a holy God. But, you know, the truth is that God has written His law on our hearts, Romans chapter 2. And there's always this accusing and excusing that goes on internally. But somehow on the surface, we try to push God away because I want to be my own Savior. Right? I want to be my own Savior. I don't need the Savior that God sent. I want to be my own Savior. That's what these Jews, they were contradicting and blaspheming. But watch what the Apostle Paul says. It was necessary, verse 46, that the Word of God should first have been spoken to you, right? To the Jew first. But now watch this. Seeing you have put it from you and judge yourself unworthy of everlasting life, we turn to the Gentiles. Oftentimes when you and I will go and preach and share the gospel with people, they'll say, no, I don't need a Savior. I'm my own Savior. Essentially, that's what they say. But they judge themselves unworthy of eternal life. They've condemned themselves. That is, that is a scary and a solemn thing. I don't want the gospel. They, Paul said, you've judged yourself worthy of everlasting life. You just want to continue on the same routine that you've been in, the religious routine, you come, you hear, you leave, and that's all you do. And you think by that process, God is somehow going to put you on a scale and say, ha-ha, you've done it, you welcome into my heaven. Well, it's not that way. You've judged yourself uh, uh, unworthy of everlasting life, and we turn. There's a time when you and I as missionaries, you and I as witnesses, we've witnessed to somebody for so long, and they've heard the gospel. Well, it's there are times to turn away and to go on to others. And let the Spirit of God work on them. Uh, the Lord hath commanded now. He's going to turn from the Jews and go to the Gentiles. Praise God. He's going to go to the Gentiles. And He's fulfilling what is written in Isaiah chapter 49 and other verses of the Old Testament. The Gentiles were glad. Now watch this, verse 48. The Gentiles heard this. They were glad, glorified the word of the Lord. And watch. As many as were ordained to eternal life believed. Blessed be God, the doctrine of election is in the Bible. Ephesians 1 says it's a blessing. It's a blessing, the doctrine of election and predestination. It's a blessing. But the wonderful thing here is God's elective decree included the Gentiles. Not just the Jews, it included the Gentiles. And for those of us that think, there are those in the camps of Christianity that will say, well, you see... That's what happens. God only selects some to salvation and the rest of us, we have to. We can't be saved no matter what we do. Well, that's simply not true because both of the doctrine, uh, the doctrine of election and the doctrine of human responsibility are both taught very clear in the Word of God. And we, the only place we cannot reconcile them is in our own mind. In God's mind, they are reconciled. But as many as were ordained or appointed to eternal life believe. But for those that might say, well, you know... I really, I struggle with that. I believe that it's not fair that God must consign some uh, to eternal damnation and they could never be saved. Listen to what the very Lord Jesus says. In another place, in Matthew chapter 25, at a, at a, at a time of judgment, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire. Hell. Prepared for who? The devil and his angels. The devil and his angels. But he says earlier, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. It's a wonderful truth that, that God does elect. 
But there's also human responsibility. When I hear the Word of God, I'm responsible to judge in my own self that I was a guilty sinner, but Jesus died for me, and therefore I receive Him as my Lord and as my Savior. A wonderful, wonderful truth that's taught in the Word of God. Uh, someone has, uh, you know, there's been a number of ways that it's been described, you know, like, like the uh, tracks of a railroad line, right? We, we're looking at them, we're standing there looking at the railroad tracks, and off into the, way off into the future, those railroad tracks come together. And when it comes to the doctrine of election and the doctrine of human responsibility, they're both taught equally in the Scripture. And way down in eternity, maybe one day we'll understand it. But as for now, we just revel in the truth that God's decree included you and me. We were all lost and worthy, un unworthy of eternal life. But God has provided a means of salvation whereby we can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and we will be saved. And so Paul ends there. Paul and Barnabas, they... Uh, raised persecution uh, and expelled them out of their coasts. And what they did, I, it's interesting, the last verse, it says they shook the dust of their feet of, of, off from that, just practicing what the Lord Jesus had taught them in the Gospels as a testimony against them. And did they go away all rejected? Oh, boys, we, we really blew it. We, no. It says the disciples were filled with joy of the Holy Ghost. You know, it's a wonderful thing that you and I have that same privilege, right? Whether it's in our office, whether it's in our neighborhood, to share the gospel. Yeah, people might shut us down. Oh, you fool. You know, there's a lot of wonderful things that are spoken of in the Bible that the Lord Jesus has done and will do. And it behooves all of us to be so filled with the Word of Christ, let, let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly, that when a conversation starts up, and you can see the Spirit of God opening an opportunity to share. Yes, you may get shut down. Yes, you may get called a fool for what you believe. But the Bible says the preaching of the cross is foolishness to them that believe, but uh, to, that don't believe. But unto, unto us that are saved, it is the power of God. So blessed be God, we can be less, just like Paul and Barnabas. And though we may be rejected, as we share this wonderful message of salvation, be filled with joy of the Holy Ghost, knowing that we are fulfilling His will. So bless God, praise the Lord Jesus, that we can have this wonderful message to take. Maybe we can just close in a word of prayer. Our Father, we're thankful for these lessons that we can learn from the early church. We pray that we'll just not learn them, but put them into practice in our own life on a daily basis. We recognize that probably most of us are not called <clears throat> to the foreign field, but we are all called to be witnesses and to do the work of an evangelist. And we thank you for the wonderful message that we have to share from your holy word. Good news indeed, how Christ died for our sins. And so, our Father, we just pray that the Holy Spirit of God would impress that upon those here that are believers and those that aren't, that they may come to know him, whom to know as life eternal. In his own name we pray, amen.